Between September 14th, 2004 and January 18th, 2005, there's a Marvel Knights miniseries called Madrox. It was written by Peter David, penciled by Pablo Raimondi, inked by Drew Hennessy, and colored by Brian Reber, with letters by VC's Corey Petit. It starred some of Marvel's lesser-known supporting characters in their own book. It deals with the eponymous character Jamie Madrox, a.k.a. the Multiple Man. He's trying to get his private investigation services off the ground when a mystery about himself literally falls into his arms, bleeding to death. We learn that the duplicates Jamie Madrox makes of himself sort of have minds and goals and really objectives as their own, which seemingly wasn't the case before. We learn that Rain Sinclair, aka Wolfsbane, a Scottish mutant with the power of lycanthropy, isn't as uptight and religious as she used to be. We learn that Guido, the strong guy, is in fact still extremely strong. These probably aren't characters you have a history with, and that's okay. I didn't either when I picked up this book. They don't save the world, they don't even save the day. They really just save the moment, and that scale back in stakes makes them work. I didn't talk about this book with Fabio because, to be honest, I hadn't read it before. I assumed with the Marvel Knights branding at the top of the book that it was a story of mature content and questionable continuity, and I'm half right. This isn't really a miniseries. There's a through line that carries the book, but the B-plot barely feels like a B-plot at all, and in fact the C-plot might even be more important. It feels more like a world-building exercise that should have kept going to present the series as a grounded counterpoint to the increasingly batshit crazy X-Men books that were being printed at the same time. It feels like life happening while other shit goes on. It's a really interesting tone. It also feels like where the X-Factor book Fabi and I discuss later really begins. Post House of M is definitely a great time to launch a new title, and I get the idea of creating a miniseries to gauge public interest, but with top-notch talent like Peter David and Pablo Raimondi, you have everything you need for an ongoing. So I just wanted to give you that context before we even get started. Welcome to Shortbox Summary. I am your host, George. This is a comic book podcast where I go back and revisit the books I was reading in high school to figure out if they were good or if I was 15. Today, we are talking about X Factor, the book that launched in 2005 in the wake of House of M. And we're reading the first six issues. Later, Fabio is going to come in with me to discuss, have a little book club. But first, I don't know if you read this book. I don't know if you have access to this book. It's on Marvel Unlimited. That's where I read it. I did not feel like digging around in the basement to find my back issues, even though I know they're there. So if you have access to it, that's great. I recommend you read it. If not, hey, this is what this part of the book is for. And I will tell you when to skip ahead if you just want the discussion about it. Please jump ahead to about the 20 minute mark if you are not interested in hearing the summary. For now, let's talk about X-Factor 1. It was published December 13th, 2005, written by Peter David, penciled by Ryan Sook, inked by Wade Von Grabadger, colored by Jose Villarubia, lettered by VCs Corey Petit. 
It is shortly after M-Day and the former X-Man, Excalibur, X-Factor, and now X-Mutant Richter stands on the edge of a building thinking about ending his life. From a nearby rooftop, Jamie Madrox, aka the Multiple Man, notices and quickly convenes with duplicates that he creates, that's his mutant power to make copies of himself, before choosing one and heaving him over to do something about it. The two begin talking as this Madrox dupe, that's what we're going to call him, dupe, short for duplicates, tries to de-escalate the situation. Across town at a bar, Teresa Cassidy, aka Siren, a mutant with powerful, damaging, soothing vocal cords, is talking to an informant and getting information that could lock up a bad man named Manetta. The informant says she did this because she's in love with Siren, a side effect of her mutant-powered voice. A drive-by shooting kills the informant in the restaurant they are eating at, and she dies in Siren's arms. Guido, the strong guy, shows up too late to stop the shooting and the shooter from getting away, and Siren blames him for the woman's death. Richter opens up to Madrox about what it feels like losing his powers, and the Madrox dupe tells him about a new investigation service he's opened up in Mutant Town to help people. To help mutants specifically, whether they have powers or not. Siren manages to chase down the car of the woman who murdered her informant, but before she can ask any questions, the assassin takes her own life with a gun to her chin. Pretty brutal stuff. The only clue Siren has to go on is that she works for another PI group called Singularity Investigations. From the street in front of Richter and the Madrox Stoop, Rain Sinclair, aka Wolfsbane, an old teammate and friend of Richter, grabs a police bullhorn from the lookers on below and starts yelling at Richter for even thinking about taking his own life. Siren returns to X-Factor Investigations and stares longingly at a bottle of alcohol without drinking because she is in fact a recovering alcoholic. Layla Miller from the recently wrapped House of M miniseries event is there and no one seems to know why or who she is, but she just knows everything. Rain finally convinces Richter to get off the roof when the Madrox dupe reveals that he's the part of Jamie that compels him to do the unexpected and pushes Richter off the roof. X-Factor 2 comes out December 27th, 2005. It is written by Peter David, penciled by Ryan Sook and Dennis Calero, inked by Wade Von Grabadger and Dennis Calero, colored by Jose Villarubia, and lettered by VCs Corey Petit. Richter is falling to his death. Rain transforms into her wolf form and jumps up, trying to slow his fall and save him, but she is unable to. Thankfully, Monet St. Croix, a.k.a. M, a mutant hero with superhuman strength, reflexes, and the ability to fly, swoops in and saves the day. She's difficult. She's very snooty and acts superior to her peers. Madrox confronts the dupe who pushed Richter off the building and tells Madrox Prime that he'll never know if he's sending out the right dupe again, if he can even trust any of them, suggesting a change to his powers that's been hinted at previously in the aforementioned Madrox miniseries, but he absorbs him regardless. Back at X-Factor, Siren wants to wage a war against Singularity herself, but Layla tells her not to. The only way to beat them is by taking on the next client about to knock on the door. Gloria Santiago is concerned about her sister, who's been having something of a personality change lately, and she suspects evil mutants are behind it. Siren reluctantly accepts the job, despite not seeing the connection to Singularity. 
Just then, we get a glimpse of what was supposed to happen. Siren was supposed to burst through the windows of Singularity and get captured. The two men at the head of Singularity struggled to figure out why, since it seemed to be preordained, why did it not happen? Monet, back at X-Factor investigation offices, manages to convince Richter to join X-Factor when they arrive at the building. Layla recommends a nearby service station for his motorcycle. Siren investigates Gloria's sister and flies up to the penthouse of a hotel to see her sleeping with Jack Vaughn, a famous actor. At the nearby service station, a domestic dispute that's about to turn extremely violent is saved because of Richter's quick intervention. Gloria is informed of her sister's affair and leaves confused and in a huff. Hours later, Jamie Madrox gets a phone call from Gloria, who's at Jack Vaughn's penthouse and is now under arrest for the murder of her sister. X-Factor 3 comes out January 31st, 2006. It's written by Peter David, penciled by Ryan Sook and Dennis Calero, inked by Wade Von Graubadger and Dennis Calero, colored by Jose Villarubia, and lettered by VCs Corey Petit. Madrox wakes up Terry from a sex dream about Ewan McGregor that is somehow set both in Star Wars and Train Spotting timelines to head over to Vic, uh, sorry to head over to Vaughn's penthouse to investigate the claims of Gloria Santiago's arrest. Thankfully, one of Madrox's dupes is past the bar, so he's able to get in to see his client. Siren uses her mutant voice powers to sweet-talk her way into the scene to do some additional investigating. Just as they're making their way through, they're stopped by Damien Tripp Jr., the man who runs Singularity of Investigations along with his father. He spills the beans on Siren, using her voice to manipulate access to the crime scene, and they get kicked out promptly. Back in Mutant Town, a group of people are harassing ex-mutants and mutants alike, threatening to beat them up for being freaks. These extremists leave a man unconscious on the street from their violence. Richter, Guido, and Rain all stand up, becoming a kind of neighborhood watch for everyone. Richter helps the victim inside to X-Factor investigations, while Guido and Rain investigate more screams coming from the neighborhood. And it turns out there's a full-blown riot. People wearing cloth R bandanas on their arms. This is like the letter R. They belong to a movement called Reels. That's what the R stands for. Real humans that are happy about the recent turn of events for mutants and looking to stop any mutant, X or not, for being different. Back at the house, Layla begins fixing the bathtub for Monet. That doesn't sound important, but stay with me. Downstairs, Richter is knocked out by the man he brought back in, the victim. It turns out he was working for Damien Tripp and needed a way to get inside X-Factor offices. Just as he's about to kill Richter, Layla reveals herself, saying that she's the reason Singularity can no longer see the future. As he's about to kill her, she shows him missing bolts from the bathtub she offered to fix earlier. The kitchen ceiling begins to fall through, soaking this assassin in water just before live electrical wires come cascading down and electrocuting him to death. Your mother will mourn you, your wife will not, she says to the dying man in her kitchen. Who are you, he asked. Layla Miller. I know stuff. X-Factor 4 comes out February 28th, 2006. It's written by Peter David, penciled by Ryan Sook, and Dennis Calero, inked by Wade Von Graubadger, colored by Jose Villarubia, lettered by VCs Corey Petit. It's also inked by Dennis Calero. Dude pulls double duty. Show some respect. 
Jamie calls Monet and gets her to come down to the police station so she can use her telepathy on Gloria Santiago to verify her innocence. Once Jamie finds out about the mutant riots happening from Monet, Teresa goes out to back them up and is low-key threatened by Damien Tripp outside of the police station. She high-key threatens him back and flies off. Monet reads Gloria's mind and briefly loses consciousness, punching Jamie and causing drama. He asks what happened and Monet plainly says, I'll handle it. Against Singularity's advice, Jack decides to fly back to Hollywood, believing the power of his celebrity to be all-protecting. The police and X-Factor are at a standstill, with Siren saying they don't want or need police protection, saying that Mutant Town is a haven for any current or former mutants alike. One scream from her voice sends the police barricade back down the block. At a nearby private airport, Jack gets ready for his flight back to Hollywood. From outside the plane, Monet uses her telepathy to torture Jack with the image of another of his victims. She tells him the whole story, that he has a power fantasy of waving a loaded gun around in bed and that he's responsible for Rachel's death. She promises to be there for him every second for the rest of his life. He begins attacking the ghost from his past, not realizing it was a psychic projection on the plane's stewardess. After trying to murder her, he's subdued by the crew and taken in, where he confesses to Rachel's murder. Madrox tries to soothe Monet, who felt everything that Rachel experienced leading up to her death, the fear and the pain. That's something that Jamie's been experiencing, that's why he didn't want to reabsorb his, his stab dupe in the previously aforementioned miniseries. Back at the office, Madrox is surprised to see a messenger service bill for $1,000 on his desk, but Layla assures him it's worth it because they go anywhere at any time and they do not ask questions. At Singularity Investigations, Damien Tripp opens a package that has the frozen corpse of his assassin with a sign around his neck reading, Stay out of Mutant Town, Sincerely, X-Factor. Siren invites Richter out for breakfast at her favorite nearby diner, but he politely declines. On her walk, she's hit with a tranquilizer dart and beaten within one inch of her life in a small, closed-off alley. X-Factor 5 comes out March 21st, 2006. It's written by Peter David, penciled and inked by Dennis Calero, colored by Jose Villarubia, lettered by VC's Corey Petit. Richter goes to Siren's Diner, but the waitress there hasn't seen her all morning. Walking back to X-Factor, Richter's trying to figure out where she could be, even mentioning the X-shaped tracers they all have. The same X-shaped tracer in an alley he walks past that's covered in blood being licked up by New York street rats. Siren has been taken hostage in a rundown old stage theater by a crazed former mutant and doctor who's holding her personally responsible for the loss of his powers. He sees people like the X-Men and their affiliates as a kind of celebrity class who live above little people like him, and if anyone knows who's responsible or has the ability to get their powers back, it would be someone associated with them. Siren does her best to fight back against him while he does that typical weird villain monologue shit. But she's been heavily sedated. Her power has been immobilized, and she's had the shit kicked out of her. The way he's talking, though, it doesn't sound like he's the one responsible for tranking her or kicking her teeth in, though she isn't sure what to believe. Richter doubles back and finds her tracer, and strands of hair and blood trails that leave, uh, sorry, that lead to a side door. 
He enters the theater that she happens to be in and announces his arrival, leading to a fight with a crazed ex-mutant MD. The two struggle on stage, and Siren manages to free the restraint on her mouth, unleashing one scream that knocks her assailant back. This gives Richter the upper hand, who manages to wrap a stage rope around the man's neck and sends him launching into the air when he cuts his sandbag counterweight. Richter and Siren manage to leave the theater and head home as the crazed doctor lays hanging in this abandoned theater. X-Factor 6 comes out April 25th, 2006. It's written by Peter David, penciled and inked by Dennis Calero, colored by Jose Villarubia, and lettered by VCs Corey Petit. Siren lays in bed at X-Factor Investigations, and the team tries to discuss how to move forward. When Richter blames all these recent events on Layla Miller, the young girl who knows stuff and they know nothing about. After being accused of fault, she heads outside to the building stoop where she's greeted by Rain, who tries to console her. But Layla tells her that Richter is right. This is all her fault. Before she can explain, Mrs. Charnoff, the caretaker at her old orphanage, shows up to take her back. The butterfly in Layla's hand dies and gently falls to the ground below before she leaves. Rain tells Jamie that they need to discuss Layla immediately, but Guido is first in line to say he thinks Singularity is responsible for beating Siren within an inch of her life, and that payback is... sorry, and that this was payback for what they did to Jack Vaughn. Guido ambushes Damien Tripp on his daily run, something he discussed in a recent magazine interview, and steers his route into a collection of dozens of Madroxes, dozens of duplicates. He's been hesitant to use his duplicates lately, but they are all so singularly focused because of this attack involving Siren that they're all unified in purpose, and the small army scares the shit out of Damien. Rain and Jamie track down Layla's orphanage and arrive at a place they feel is out of time, like it's from the Depression era and doesn't make sense in the modern world. They see Layla covered in bruises, and without hesitation, Rain transforms into a werewolf form and threatens the children for what they've done. Madrox makes a comment about, like, hey, sweet interrogation skills, good job. But it's too late. Confronted by Madrox and Rain, she finally explains her powers, thanks to an explanation of chaos theory from Jurassic Park. She says, quote, Well, let's say you have two closely related weather systems that are identical in every way. Then a butterfly comes out of nowhere and starts flapping its wings in one system. Next thing you know, its wings have set off a string of weather events that result in a tornado. That's kind of what I do. I have a sense of what's to come from a distance away, of how things might turn out, and should turn out, and it's not going the way it should, I do one little thing at one end and it makes things turn out the way they should at the other end. I knew, or at least sensed, that Siren was going to be hurt, but I also knew it was supposed to happen, so I let it. She goes on to say she completely understands how she knows what's supposed to happen, but if she tells Jamie, she'll die. Jamie and Rain then try to formally adopt Layla to get her out of this abusive orphanage just for her own protection, but Mrs. Charnoff explains why the process would take years and likely wouldn't happen at all given their occupation. So she suggests that they just leave with her, that she has too much work going on to even notice she'd be gone. So Layla returns to X-Factor with uh, Jamie and Rain and holding what looks like the dead butterfly in her hands, the one from earlier. Richter comes out and suggests that she wasn't beaten at all, that she gave herself those bruises, and that he'd be watching her. 
she suggests that that is an interesting theory. Not saying one way or the other if that's actually what happened. Just then, the dead butterfly flies out of her hands. So that was the first six issues of X Factor, and we're about to have the talk with Fabio. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon. Hello, hello. Welcome to the conversation part of Shortbox Summary. Uh, once again, I'm your host, George, and I'm joined again by my guy, my favorite, my friend, my Fabio. Fabio, how you doing? What an introduction. Three out of four of those were true. Which one was the favorite? Do you think that wasn't true? No, we'll have to. Maybe I'm not Fabio. I don't know. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah, maybe that one's not sure. That's a good call. Hi, everybody. Hey, uh, Fabio, we're talking about X Factor. This came out uh, first issue according to Marvel Unlimited, December 13th, 2005. I don't want to talk about X Factor just yet. We haven't talked about pop culture and what else was happening at the time for a minute. So let's um, let's let's turn our TVs on and open up our TV guides. And do you want to talk for a quick sec about what was hitting the airwaves for the first time in 2005? Yes, because I don't think I'm going to know a lot of them. We'll see. I think you'll know a lot of them. Um, I'm going to start in August of 2005. Um, I only want to talk about one show. I didn't know Peppa Pig came out in 2005. I didn't know Peppa Pig had been around that long. That long ago? Yeah, right? Like, was that a British, like, launch, and then it came to America later? Or did that hit the States? I believe it hit the States, because I'm looking at, like, the debuts, and it says it debuted on Cartoon Network, and I know it was a British program, so I think it first came. Oh, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I had no idea it was around that long, and, like, I know I have a a niece who is four years old, almost five years old, and goddamn, did she have, like, a weird little British accent, because she was watching so much Peppa Pig. Weird. Yeah. That's really funny. God, they should have just let that go. For as long as possible, like only show her British entertainment constantly. Oh, pip, 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 mummy. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't yeah. <laughs> just stereotypical South Park character. Later in August, the next week, we got a new show premiering on Fox, and that show was Prison Break. Shit, who did Prison Break? Because I remember it being like from the hit executive producers. Wasn't it like some? Some like sh- big show, and then the creators made a smaller, like this new show called Prison Break. Or maybe I'm just confusing it with other things that were out at the time. I don't know. I'm looking it up. Like nothing really jumps Bunch out. Bunch of nobodies. So. Nothing really jumps out. Like the lead executive producer on the the page on on Wikipedia lists this guy who is like True Calling, Last Man Standing, Teen Wolf. And I'm like, oh, huh. but like not even the movie Teen Wolf, money. like the MTV team Teen Wolf. Oh, gross. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I'm thinking about then. Um, <laughs> yeah. I never, never got into that show. Aaliyah's like obsessed with that show. She she stands by. Oh, I think the... you know what? I thought it was connected to 24 in some way. Oh, maybe but it doesn't sound <clears throat> like it is. So no, it's not. But like it, it they were both on Fox. And they both had like the it could what, have if, been what if prime time was real? What if prime time was dangerous? Like it, it very much had that attitude. Uh, the golden age. But that was the one. Oh, Jesus. Where what's his name? The the lead guy in it. He like gets arrested. So uh, 
Wentworth Miller, the guy who plays like Captain yeah. Cold on the on the Flash show, he, like goes to prison so he can bust his brother out, and he's like I think it's the big. architect who designed the prison. And he gets like the plans of the prison tattooed all over his back. I remember that being like a really dramatic yeah, reveal. Like, that's just not the prison you send a guy to. That, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not. They should have known, right? Yeah. Some judge would have been like, "What was your previous job?" You know, like they would have looked into that. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors would have looked into it. That, and I also feel like it's really fucking hard to read a map on your back, like a little architectural plan. Yeah, there's no mirrors in jail, huh? Prison, I they, even. I don't think they can, right? Just because, like, yeah. can't you break that and turn that shit into a knife? Yeah, maybe he got one of those little clear TVs, and he was just been like trying to catch the right angle. You know? That sounds that sounds like most prisons is a, a place. I didn't watch the, the show. TV. I think that's how they did it. <laughs> yeah, I should have watched the show. I'm sorry, I did not. <laughs> um, let's see. Later that fall, we got uh, some some syndicated shows. We got the Tyra Banks show and the Martha Stewart show. Mm. Not that I have a lot to say about those, but they were really big. I remember them being important when I was in high school. Uh, a show that did become big was Bones. You ever get into like your procedural drama? I didn't era? like Bones. Didn't like Bones. Didn't like Bones. Didn't like Bones. I, I did. I love very few of them. Um, I think Psych was like one of the only ones in that category that I remember getting into. God, I fucking love Psych. Um, yeah, Psych's a good one. Can I tell you a secret? Yeah. My dad is fucking obsessed with Bones. Really? Yeah, and didn't watch it when it was airing. He got into it like two years ago, like during COVID and when it was all available. And he just yeah. became obsessed with it. And him talking about it so much, I think, got Aaliyah obsessed with it. And then she also <laughs> fell down the, the Bones-shaped <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah, that guy will always be Angel to me. I can't see him as anything else. Yeah, that's fair. I think so he's like to imagine. Jesus, I think he was in the live action Dragon Ball movie too. Oh. I think he played like I've... evil evil Piccolo, I want to say. Was that the same guy? I thought this was like that other guy who's got an evil face and he's in shitty sci-fi. He's got real short curly hair. Oh, it might have been the guy blonde. who played Spike. Yeah, I might have misspoken. It might not have been David Boreanaz. Who knows? Yeah. The make was terrible. There's no he's, way of double checking any of this information. No. Uh, also, that sa- that same day on the WB, Supernatural premiered. I never got into that show. I know it was incredibly huge and incredibly popular. I was really into Smallville, and I remember my friends trying to convince me to watch uh, Supernatural. Couldn't get into it. Just not for me. Oh, man, they were like around the same time, you know? They were. Well, Smallville, I think, was 2001. It was before. It was like as it was getting towards the end, and then Supernatural came out, and it was like the obvious next thing to watch. And I just... Yeah, I think they were both WB shows, right? Might have been. Yeah, CW or whatever the fuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Also premiering that fall, How I Met Your Mother. That's a you show. You love that show. I am fucking obsessed with that show. Yeah. Yeah. I understand parts of it haven't aged well. I don't give a shit. I was there. It seemed fine at the time. We're smarter people now. We're better people now. Yeah, that's it's cool. Yeah. A show that I absolutely hated, My Name is Earl. Yeah, I love Jason Lee, but I cannot ever bring myself to watching that show. It, I, I tried, remember, but it was bad. It was just not not good. I can't take it seriously whatsoever. And in fact, a friend sent me an episode because he made like a joke reference that I didn't get. And he told me exactly which episode of My Name is Earl to watch. I got to admit, I laughed really hard at that episode. Oh. But um, goddamn, can I just, I, I can't do more than one episode of that show at a time. I just can't. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. yeah. 
Not for me either. Kitchen Confidential, which I'm pretty sure was that uh, Gordon nope. Ramsay shit. Right? Oh, I might have watched it then. Who knows? I watched a lot of Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> Actually, wait, no. Kitchen Confidential. Oh, wait, no. It was not the... It That is not the, the Gordon Ramsay show. This is a live-action like drama single camera. Oh. And uh only lasted, it only lasted Gordon Ramsay has like 50 shows. Only lasted one season, but Bradley Cooper starred in it. And this was what? I think the same year as Wedding Crashers. Huh. Yeah. Weird. I didn't know he was ever in a show. Interesting. Everybody hates Chris on UPN. Did I think watch... I watched a little bit of it. There, there was uh, I watched a couple episodes, it was okay, but I never got super into it. I, I like that show. I remember enjoying it. Yeah. Quite a bit. Terry was... Crews as the dad was fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, like, super, like, struggling. Like, trying to pay for everything. And... Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah, sure was. Um, Criminal Minds, which I don't Aaliyah. care for that show, but Aaliyah was obsessed with it and still is obsessed with it to this day. Nope, not for nope. me. Okay. Uh, let's see. It's smaller... Some smaller shows, Squidbillies premiered on uh, Adult Swim, mm, Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, <laughs> y- yeah, <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, which is where um, Yu-Gi-Oh! lost me, gotta be honest. Yami yeah, is not, Yami Yugi's not there, I don't really give a shit. Uh, here's a big one, The Colbert Report. Never got super into Colbert. I've, oh. like, enjoyed a few of his, like, I've seen some clips of his that I like, but, um... Not a huge fan of his. I didn't watch like a lot of late night TV. Like I didn't watch any like the big talk shows, but every night at yeah. 11, I was there for a daily show and I was there at 1130 for Colbert Report. I thought Colbert Report was like one of the funniest things I'd ever seen in my life. I feel like I'd like to have a conversation with Colbert, but I'd like don't really care much for. for he's show, he's, he's, he's not curious po- about what he's about because he's on a podcast right now called Strike Force Five, where it's like all the late night hosts banding together to. Oh, weird. Basically, just produce a podcast where they can raise money for their staff during the strike. Oh, that's tight. Yeah, so it's him, Kimmel, Fallon, Seth Meyers, not Bill Maher, and not Bill Maher, no. um, <laughs> and uh, John Oliver too. And that show is actually pretty funny. It makes me laugh quite a bit. I watched a lot of John Oliver. I think you'll like the show. Yeah, maybe. He's a big uh, old nerd. Yeah, it sure was. Uh, the Boondocks premiered on Adult Swim. Good show. Yeah. And um, later, Ben 10 premiered, but... Could not give a shit. I was checked out for Ben 10. I was, yeah, I was a little too a little too old for that at that point. But yeah. man, that was a TV... A lot of... It was just amazing, like, how many shows, like, oh, fuck, that is still, like, a cultural touchstone, what, 18 years later? That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, what is this, 2005, right? 2005, it started, yeah. What happened after that? <laughs> what went wrong? I don't know. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I, like, had my first girlfriend that year, which was great for me personally, but seemed awful societally. Uh, ever, everything seemed to start generally degrading once I got my first girlfriend. You probably caused all of this. Probably. Your, your decisions 
yeah affected us all it was me it was the first time i like really made out with someone it's just like it's been all downhill for the rest of the world since, since the i started making like, out what the with... fuck <laughs> this wasn't supposed <laughs> to happen not like this not like this <laughs> that's enough of uh 2005 and what 2005 george is up to fabio i asked you to read x factor yeah i did let's start with the basics have you ever heard of the book x factor before Yes, I've read old X-Factor. Not a lot, but I have read some older X-Factor. I've never read newer X-Factor, and I was not aware of some of these characters. Maybe I've just forgotten about some of them over time, but these weren't the original X-Factor, or just, I guess, the the ones that I read. I don't remember any of these characters, so they're all... Right. X-Factor, a little bit of like a confusing book title, because originally it was a way to get the first five X-Men back together, who were no longer the starring characters of the X-Men. It was a way to get Cyclops, Jean Grey, Beast, Iceman, and Angel back together. They had been kind of supplanted in the original X-Men book. That's when it became like Wolverine and Nightcrawler and Storm. All that shit changed with uh, Giant Size X-Men. And this was like an excuse to get them back together. And I remember reading an interview where Peter David, the writer of the book we're talking about today was so excited because he was asked to become the author of X factor at the time. And he was just like, fuck, I get to write the original characters. That's so cool. And of course, I think he comes in like issue 70 on the original series. And of course that was when like they all got back together and like, you know, started like a different X-Men book. And then he had leftover characters and had to create a bunch of other characters. And he's like, fuck, I thought I had my chance to write the big ones. And uh, he instead made some big ones. After that, there was another X-Factor book, which I'm pretty sure dealt with Valerie Cooper, who was like the government agent we talked about on our previous episode. But it was a bunch of new characters. And so, and then they were they were running like a government-funded mutant outreach team, mutant, like rogue mutant hunting team, I think. Uh, I don't know. 90s comics are really hard for me to read. Like, if you're not Mark Waid's Flash series, it's hard for me to give a shit, to be honest. So when I first grabbed this book, I was going in completely blind. I was just going off the faith of, like, the decimation banner that happened in the upper left corner. Yeah. And knowing that it was like related to House of M. And I remember okay. how I felt at the time when I was reading this book. I felt like I was reading an indie movie that had come to life in a Marvel comic. That's a good way to put it. Bobby, what was your first impression reading this book? Um, I think I think it was it kind of similar to that feeling where it felt like um it didn't really feel like an X Factor book necessarily to me or like an x-men book necessarily it was like detective noir mm-hmm. um and yeah it it definitely it feels like it makes sense based on that time of when everything else was coming out that this came out yeah um but it, it was darker than i expected i don't know if that was also based on the time that it came out <laughs> it got so fucking heavy so fast because it, it starts off with a suicide attempt yeah so that's that's like really heavy, but like they keep it pretty lighthearted throughout. Um, but yeah, it was it was fun. I, I think it was a, a fun book. I don't honestly I think it's like a continuation of the story of um, House of M just because of like the fallout of everything. But it doesn't feel solely rooted in that as well. Like it's a, it's part of it and they bring it up quite a bit, but it's not it's got its own little thing going, which is fun. 
I think what's really interesting about this book, I think we talked about this on a recent episode, but in like the main title X books, like I feel like that's where like the the plot is moving forward for like all the X titles or whatever, where it's like, okay, these are the characters that were closest there, but they're so isolated, you know, like they're they're trying to figure out like how to come back from the decimation that happened. But they are like the the stars, right? And I at no point did I ever feel like any of these characters were the stars. I think that's why I liked revisiting this book so much, just because at the time I felt like I was jumping to the deep end and didn't really know what I was doing. But now revisiting it, knowing who these characters are, understanding the point of this book, I guess, which is like these are the people who are on the ground. These are the people who are living in former mutant town and seeing like the actual fallout of house of M, right? Like it's not like a bunch of superheroes who could do something to change it, but these are the people who are helping everyone else cope with what they lost during that day, during M day. And I was really impressed with this book because I can't tell you like the through line for this book in these first six issues that I asked you to read, right? Like, I don't think there's really like, there's a vague plot, I guess with, with them dealing with singularity and what they mean, I guess, as like an opposition to X Factor. But for the most part, it really just feels like people dealing with shit and very character. With their own shit. Yeah, yeah. A- everything about it is character driven. It doesn't hammer home a greater narrative about the X-Men or about what the loss of the mutant gene right. does to people. It's just showing the effects. And I thought that right, was right. absolutely a strength of this book where it really made me care about people and then loosely tied all the issues together with I guess more of like a thematic feeling than any pressing narrative point. Yeah. And the art style is. Feels a little bit more adult as well and darker mm-hmm. than any other X-Men book I've ever read. Yeah. Um, it's not like huge bulging muscles and it's just like, yeah, it depicts people just fucking dealing with their own shit, um, which I think is, is fun. Well, it's like, you know how Top Gun feels like, like the, the movie Top Gun, it just feels like it's perpetually sunset, right? In that world where the sun yeah. is always, it's always orange and pink and purple and beautiful. And there's always F-14s taking off or whatever and just looks cool <laughs> as hell. This book feels like it's 20 minutes after the sun is set. Every single panel where yeah. it's like it just turned night, but it's still really young in the night. There's still so much that can be done. There's still so much that will be done. And it's just such a special feeling. There's two main pencilers on this book the first i think two issues were done by ryan souk who incredibly talented has kind of like a washed out look to their art and then there's dennis calero who takes over i think the last four issues and that's where like the noir really comes in i think and i asked i asked my buddy richard like i sent him a page i was like how would you describe these blacks would you say they're more flat or more matte and he said i think heavy or overused is how i would describe it because the black just comes bleeding through on the panels, especially in the later issues. And it really does a good job of selling the vibe, the theme, and making you feel like you're in like an old Humphrey Bogart movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the noir definitely does like come in super heavy for this, which is fun because it's like, you know, they have like their own little agency and um, it kind of fits, I guess, the setting. It's not like uh, some drama happening at, you know, X Mansion, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, it, it it definitely wasn't what I was expecting. Um, but there's a lot of characters that I'm not familiar with in this book, so 
I was kind of excited to figure out like where this is going. Does this continue after this series is done? I don't, I don't know if you have, if you've read much further after the house of M stuff with this, but um, you said that it like splits off at some point from like issue 50 to something. Oh, um, so a lot of books do this when they hit like milestones. Okay. Issue 50 of this book is issue 50 of this book, which like they love putting out because it's like a big anniversary issue. And there's a lot of speculators who think it's going to be a big deal. So they'll grab that. And then issue 51 of this volume becomes issue 200 of X Factor, because that is like picking up the original numbering of X Factor, which I think ended at issue 149. So it just like takes on the old numbering at that point. And I'm pretty sure Peter David, at least, stuck with this book through all of that. I think I read around the first 50 issues because 2005, give or take four years. I was in college at that point, And I think I started like sacrificing some books. So I'd have just like some extra money in other places. But I, I stuck with it for a good long while. Um. But yeah, I I guess I just don't remember how interesting this book was from when I was a kid. And I totally understand now why I suck with it through yeah. 50 issues because this book is fucking nuts. And like I said, there's no, at least in like, I asked you to read the first six issues. I probably should have asked you to read the first seven issues because issues eight and nine are Civil War tie-ins. And it also blows Ooh. my mind just how soon Civil War happens after House of M. Right. Because normally they wait like a year before their next event, but it seemed like they were waiting four to six months after after this one, which is pretty wild. Um, I'm excited to get into Civil War stuff. Get ready because you're gonna have to do a lot of fucking books. No, for that. I'm exciting. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, like there's no like continuous narrative. There's no plot really. There's just vibes in these first six issues, which I think is a pretty impressive feat for Peter David to take these characters who at the time I think were just appearing as like side characters in the main X book. Like I, I feel like I remember Janie Madrox appearing as like a employee of X core, which is like the outreach foundation for means that we talked about in the previous episode that like, you know, had a suicide truck blow up the lobby of, in France. Yeah. you know, like I'm pretty sure he was doing that, but like here he's just like a whole ass person who is going through shit. Well, let's let's talk about the characters a little bit because we keep saying this is character driven. You keep saying that you don't know these people. So I guess the technical lead of this book is Jamie Madrox, aka the Multiple Man. Yeah. And this first issue is rough because there is this guy named Richter who is a friend of his, and he lost his powers in M Day. And Jamie Madrox has so sorry. Jamie Madrox has so much going on that he sends one of his duplicates that he calls him he can split basically and just multiply himself and be his own one-man army and send people out into the world and so he sends one of his duplicates to like talk richter off off the ledge of this building literally yeah and by the end of the first issue we realize that like oh he sent the wrong duplicate like he doesn't actually have as much control over his copies as we thought he did and so he's dealing with shit. He's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Throughout the rest of the story, he's dealing with just like a complete lack of confidence of doubling up and sending copies of himself out there because all of a sudden he just doesn't know what they're going to do. He, can't he trust thought himself. <laughs> yeah, he thought he sent the responsible one, but no, he sent uh, the wild card. I think he actually like introduced himself as like the X Factor by the end when he pushes Richter off the building, who he had you know originally sent up there to talk him down <laughs> off the ledge. <laughs> Any any thoughts on multiple man as we uh, as we get into it? 
Um, he's interesting. He's not like one of my favorite characters. Um, I, I does does that happen again? I'm guessing further on into the X Factor series that or just his character that like he continuously loses control, or is that just like a special for situation for this? No, series? it comes up a little bit. <laughs> it, it becomes more of an issue. I figured. Okay. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I I didn't really like. I'll be honest. I didn't. I don't know if I fell in love with any of these characters specifically. Personally. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to. The... No, no, you're good. Um, do you know why you didn't fall in love with any of them personally? Was there anyone that you were closer to by the end of the story? Um, I feel like it was a lot of like, I, like there was just so much. It was it was happening really fast. Like there's like you said, there's no real like plot point. It's just kind of happening. <laughs> So like I don't know I I felt like um uh with multiple man I, I felt like he wasn't his whole like little plot line with I don't, I don't remember her name the girl with the red hair siren siren that whole plot line with siren um I don't know it just like for me it just didn't he wasn't like the most interesting character to me okay yeah um I did like the little werewolf irish lady oh and <laughs> wolfsbane yeah rain yeah great great character probably the best one yeah she was great yeah great she was great she was really defensive and protective and just instinctual right like she <clears throat> she seemed like the simplest character just because she had such like a clearly defined ethics and code right and yeah. then in one of the later issues, she's like coming back. She sees Layla Miller like on the doorstep. <clears throat> and she and she's like, hey, where were you? And she's like, oh, it's just coming back from church. You know, it's just like, oh, I, not a lot of mutants talk about religion. I think the most famous one is probably Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler being like a devout yeah. Catholic. But uh, that doesn't come up super often. And I guess, I don't know, like, is 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 a werewolf? Is that uh, like like a pagan idea? Yeah, I don't know Wolfsbane's story. Um, it's got to be conflicting, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing. I don't <laughs> the have cross like, the on right, her neck, and the... I don't have the right terminology for it. But I have to assume that like a woman who just can transform into a werewolf at command, I feel like that is probably conflicting with a greater Judeo-Christian ideology and uh, presentation. So, uh, the, I, I do like the conflict there. I thought that was just like an interesting bubble, just because again, like this this entire story if uh, there's a theme to it, it is about like the mutant population losing faith too. And I think it is interesting just to see rain, uh, like just hold on to hers. So stoutly. Yeah. I, I think the thing for me was that like with all the characters that they were introducing, it it was interesting seeing their lives, but it was kind of like, it was one of those stories where I, I didn't love like I, I didn't feel like any of the characters were like good people necessarily. <laughs> like they're all kind of fucked up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I found that like I found it interesting to watch them, but I don't know if I had like a like any specific connection with any of the characters. And maybe it's just the noir setting where it's just like dark and gloomy, and it's like the only guy that gets is like Max Payne, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the only noir character you like is Max Payne. Yeah, I yeah. connected with Max Payne. 
Uh, but like ball, sh- shaved but, head Max Payne in Brazil, right? right? Specifically right, from right, three, right, right, yeah. right. not the suit. No, um, fucking cop. Yeah, but it felt like there was like a lot of exposition with this whole series, or or like a lot of setup. Like they were trying to like it, the the one girl. I'm trying to remember her name now. God, I don't remember shit. I'm tired. Uh, yeah, so stupid, we're record we're recording name? this super late after like a Giants Niners game. Um, there's like that girl that shows up and she just knows everything layla miller yeah. layla okay um i'm guessing they're setting it up because with the way it ends and everything i'm guessing that they're setting this up to make her a bigger deal yeah well she was the one who was able to unlock the past in people's memories in house of m right like she was the one that like they used to make everyone remember what existed before the the house of magnus and so I don't know if we thought she was not going to come back because she was like a new character invented for House of M. And she kind of seemed like a plot device there, right? Like she was just like right. the, the, just rem- there to the, show the memory juice. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which is what she kind of feels like in this one too, where she's just, she just kind of shows up and she's there and she's like helping people. And she kind of shows, but I actually think she's like really compelling in this book because she is right. She like, she shows up yeah, and she does always. know everything. Yeah. And she is really, I guess, effective at fucking with these people who have like such longer, more storied careers, I guess, like in terms of comics than than she does. But she just sets everyone on edge, despite being, you know, like a 14 year old girl or whatever with like no discernible history. And she just makes all these decisions without asking permission or forgiveness. And everyone is just kind of flabbergasted because she's always right about everything so like by the end of six issues they just kind of defer to her and like kind of let her make her her own life i I guess like amongst x-factor and that scene i'm I'm really glad you brought that up let's talk about the final scene of issue six where um so layla miller she is an orphan in our world i guess in house of m when everyone got what they wanted she got her parents back and then House of M reverted. So she says that she lost her parents twice. She's living in an orphanage. And she managed to run away and join X-Factor because she can kind of see the future, I guess, is like how they describe her powers, right? Like she sees things how they're supposed to be. And she's able to manipulate them to either be how they're supposed to be or manipulate them out of the way of what they're supposed to be. And so she's at an orphanage. She she goes back to the orphanage. And then uh, Madrox and... And Wolfsbane, we'll they're just like, well, we should go check in on her. And they stop by and they see her and she's just bruised to fuck in this orphanage. Yeah. And they try to adopt her. And the chick is like, look, there's no fucking way you can adopt her. Like, you guys are not suitable parents. It takes months and all this shit. And she's like, but if she were to run away, I can't do anything about it. My hands are tied. Like, I'm, I'm tied down with so much paperwork. What am I supposed to do? So basically, she gets to go back to X Factor. And then Richter, the guy who tried to kill himself at the beginning of the story, is just like, yeah, you know, it's pretty easy to punch yourself in the face and uh, uh-huh. manipulate people. <laughs> just like implying that she just like made the abuse up that she was experiencing at this orphanage and that she did that to like get out. And at first I was like, man, this guy is such an asshole. And just the way she smiles in like the next panel, I'm like, I can't remember where the story goes. I'm actually really excited. To yeah, and they, they don't say they don't really like give way of one way or the other but for me it implied she she probably did yeah she she uh you know used some uh some trick dice on her on her table there just to get the the results she wanted 
because all the other orphans were happy to see her back. Yeah, for like one panel. Yeah. Yeah. So that seems like good, good thing. Yeah. Who, who wouldn't want to go back to that situation? Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> I did have a uh, so. Who's the wizard, George? <laughs> I I did not remember there was a they fucking don't say. time lord or whatever just hanging out in this story with, with singularity. Yeah. I can't and remember. Like, like, I tried to look for it right now and I couldn't see it. Like, I don't think they ever said his name. He just shows up in like a few panels and he's just some cool Sauron looking motherfucker. Saruman. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it looks like a cross between like Saruman and like, was it Ming? Like Ming the t- menacing, Ming the terrible, whatever from like Flash Gordon. Like he, he just he looks like such oh, yeah, like a yeah, fucking yeah. out of place person. Not like which is really saying something for a comic book. It's like man, you look like you fucking don't belong <laughs> yeah. here, but you you sure don't belong in here. a comic book with a werewolf. A yeah, right. Werewolf. It's just like man, this guy really sticks out. But man, it was I'm <laughs> I'm I'm fucked because like I have so many episodes to record and I like I've laid out like my my little schedule and like my my map and I'm like. How am I going to do that and read X Factor at the same time? <laughs> I'm with you. I got to remember who the fuck this wizard is. And off the top of my head, I just cannot. And um, I thought that was extremely compelling. The fact that like, don't he, say. the fact that like his counter is a 14 year old girl. Right. And he's just yeah. like, no, the future's clouded. There must be someone interacting. <laughs> he sends not like, a very this, good wizard. He sends this assassin to kill Richter because he assumes it, it's Richter. Who's like making it clouded for him to see the future or whatever? Yeah, and because uh, he was supposed to kill himself but didn't, and then he knocks him out at the X Factor building, and then Layla, who like didn't fix the sink earlier, that she told Monet that she would fix the sink for her room, like just timed it perfectly, and then like the water was running, and then like the I think <laughs> the tub like burst through like the ceiling or whatever, cover yeah, the real water, breaking bad then, moment. Yeah, then the electrical just fucking electrocuted this guy and it's just like oh man Layla she you're incredibly knows. cool but you might be a sociopath too yeah um yeah there was uh <laughs> that moment and then um there was the there was another assassin that and so they're all being sent by who is it Mr. Tripp yeah, Damien Tripp from Singularity Investigations. Yeah, so this whole fucking plot, basically, like this hunting down of the X Factor is all being kind of organized and coordinated by him, right? We're assuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's like gangs that are also being set up. They sound like little militias. Oh, uh, yeah, what they call like them? Very... The, the, the reels? Yeah, the reels. So fucking corny. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah, but, that that is so fucking corny. But you know what else is corny? Like the fucking oh, we're the proud boys. <laughs> like no, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, come on, that's guys. About right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, <laughs> damn it, proud. Um, Dumb but yeah, name. it's uh, it sounds like the right name for a group of people that would be super racist. Um, but yeah, I think that like I I don't know where they're fully going with this story. Um. I don't know if multiple man is like the main character for the whole series. It seems like it, right? Like he keep, they keep him as like the main protagonist. He is. Yeah. And he is generally the narrator, I guess, of all these issues that we're talking about. Uh, I, I believe okay. that sticks. I'm not sure if that sticks during like X factor uh, tie-ins like for civil war. Just cause like I saw that cover with Pietro 
running across and I'm trying to remember if that was like a Pietro centric book. Um, but Jamie is incredibly important just to X factor. And man, I gotta be honest. I'm so much more interested in these characters than a lot of the X-Men just because I don't know anything about them. I think what's interesting about the first issue in particular is that it's a first issue. So you think it'd be like a perfect jumping on point. And I do think it is, but it's very in media res where like there's already a story kind of going yeah. on and it's not just the, the house of M story. Right. Right. I think personally, I really liked issue five out of all of them. The, I mean, it was a horror like <laughs> issue right? where Siren gets captured. Um, they like dart her in the neck and bring her to like that old abandoned theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just, I don't remember his name now, but he was, he had, he was a mutant and then lost his powers during the event. And he's just been losing his fucking mind trying to figure out who's responsible for it. And a former doctor. So he like resets her bones. Cause I think this is one Wait, thing he where he reset her bones. I didn't remember that. Yeah. Cause it turns out the person who beat the shit out of her was actually from singularity. Okay. Like a different person beat her within an inch of her life. He was hiding yeah. out in that shitty broken down theater in Mutant Town <laughs> yeah. and brought her in and actually like gave her care and then tied her to the chair. Oh, and I then... might have. I thought that that was the plan that they brought. Like he was next up, you know? No, I think he was just like a. I don't want to say in his, he's just a bystander who he like in that issue said that like he held the X-Men and X-Factor responsible. And he has that one line where it's like when all of a sudden people lose power to look to those who still have power and to see like what they gained or whatever. And like if they can give you some kind of explanation. And so he's holding her like personally responsible for M-Day for him losing his power. And he's just like it's like that fucking movie right it's like audition where he's just has her tied to a chair and is just torturing her trying to get to the bottom of it and thankfully richter passed on like a breakfast invitation ended up like ah you know what i should get breakfast with her did you do you have like that issue right there yeah yeah yeah. look at page one panel one and it's him like walking into the diner she mentioned Oh, is it that famous painting? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. Nighthawks by Edward Hopper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I remember I was I was flipping through it earlier today. I'm like, oh fuck yeah, you know that is like a, a yeah <laughs> a foundational part of American 20th century art. Look at that. <laughs> so it starts off really plain. The waitress starts hitting on him, and then he still feels like something's amiss. So he goes out looking for, uh, looking for Siren, and man, Fabio, I really like it's this book. Fucked up. It's yeah no, oh, oh yeah sorry no it is fucked up but i'm just saying like the uh the noir vibes of this yeah, book and the fact that good. everything is so not linear i think is probably like what i really appreciate about it the fact that it is just characters and vibes yeah i think it's, I think it's great i think this yeah, might be one of the kind better of feel books independent from each other like there's one where they're fighting cops there's one that they're doing like some detective work this one is just a straight up like crime thriller noir like it's very fun this this was my favorite one yeah issue five yeah and i think i think it's issue six where like they finally confront damien trip right like we got guido the strong guy oh yeah yeah yeah. and uh him and and jamie and jamie's like yeah i was really nervous about doing like my my multiplying because of how shit went 
with Richter, but because of uh, one of us was hurt, they all got on board. And so I, I do like that there's like an automatic out sort of built into like his powers being on the fritz, where yeah, it's just like, no, yeah. the second one of us is threatened, uh, they they all get in line. They they fall, our ducks fall in a row. And I don't know. I just thought it was really effective. It feels a lot like uh, Alias Investigations, like the Brian Michael Bendis, Michael Gatos yeah. one that deals with that girl, Jessica Jones. I forgot her name. I don't know how I forgot her name. She comes up a lot on the show. It feels a lot like that book, but again, like an independent movie. Like it just like, what if we gave it a bigger budget? Like what if it had an ensemble cast as opposed to just this one original character operating on the fringes. And I I feel like this book is like taking the center of Marvel mutant importance just because like the X-Men are just kind of fucking off doing their own thing. And this book is actually dealing with the consequences, which I really appreciate. Right. The real people that are like on the ground, like yeah. living their regular lives. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, I, <laughs> if you can just look at one panel for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be issue six. Okay. Page 23. Okay. Final. Bottom right. I'm just saying. Is what the lady's saying, and it's she's got her neck cocked back in the weirdest way. And if you have Marvel Unlimited or have seen this issue, it's fucking great. Just I'm gonna screenshot it. It's gonna become used very frequently by me. George, feel free to tweet it out or something. (laughs) You said issue six. Yeah. Page twenty three. Uh, page 23. I'll show you. Oh, incredibly awkward. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. Not how I'm picturing it in my brain. Not the, not the best panel, but um, God, I, I'm <laughs> I gonna, love it so much. I'm going to snap that and just try to make that a meme. And whenever I make a point about comic books, I'm just going to drop that in there. Yeah. 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 Because that is a exactly. just fucking haunting ass image. Although I do think it's interesting that like the character who seems so inhuman and so inflexible gets that art, you know, <laughs> like, the, like right. the the one who seems so alien is just like, no, you can't take Layla. Like, why would you be able to do that? And then she's like, yeah, you could take her. Yeah, and Not then she crazy. just looks like the fucking guy in Men in Black who's like, sugar, <laughs> give me sugar. <laughs> But yeah, I am excited to see it, seeing that this goes into Civil War, um, the, the comic books, yeah. the Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I am excited to see uh, how it keeps going because I know that like they were setting all this shit up with between multiple lands, like fringing out and Layla kind of coming back to the house. I'm assuming that something else is coming. I don't know. I don't know how big of a, of a like if it's just kind of mentioned if it's going to be one of those books because there's like a billion books associated with civil war so i don't know if it's just one of those books where they're like damn heard some shit happen with cap last night and then that's like about it you know i I can't remember i know there's a newspaper in a panel (laughs) i can't remember the the tie-in so i'm actually really excited to do that i almost want you and I might have to record on like a weekend one of these days, but like I'm gonna ask you to read like a lot of books, and if we just do like a ranking okay. of like the Civil War tie-ins, 
Yeah. I'm down. I'm down. There's, there's, I'm sure you have a list for it already, but I'm sure if not, I can find the list online. I do. The correct I do. order. I do have a list. Or Marvel Unlimited might already have it. Uh, they do. I, I like their list plenty. I have, I have another list that I can, I can share okay, with you. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm sure but it's it's like trimmed down on there. That might have to be like you and I record on like a Saturday or something, and we might have to drink during it, just because it's going to be a fucking long one, and it's going to be us like actually ranking each tie-in in terms of like importance to the main story and quality and quality. Importantly, yeah. yeah. Bobby, I've asked you to read a lot of books on this podcast. I gotta ask, do you have any interest in continuing X Factor? Yes, because mostly for the reason I like X Men, mm-hmm. and I do like the um, the noir of this. I don't know how that'll continue as they like switch over writers and stuff like that, but um, I'll 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 gobble up anything X Men. I'll take it. I enjoy it. The writer sticks around for a long time, and I'm pretty sure okay. the artist, like they they did two different artists now, and I can't remember who sticks with it through the Civil War tie-in, but I'm pretty sure Scott Eaton becomes like the main ongoing artist and sticks around for a while too. So like there is a consistency okay. to the book that comes in. That's good. And Ryan Souk keeps doing the covers, which I think are fucking gorgeous for this book. Yeah, it's very 2005. Yeah, you know that's my shit. You know that's exactly yeah. my speed, you know, my comfort zone. <laughs> Bobby, before I let you go, any closing thoughts on on X Factor? Is there anything you you wish we hit? Um, I wish I knew who that was was. Damn it. Um, and I am a little bit kind of curious, kind of looking through some of the later series. Uh, there's some weird shit going on with multiple man Hydra related um, <laughs> looks crazy. Uh, and uh, yeah, eventually I do want to get into Civil War shit. So I do want to continue this series. Oh, God, it goes into Messiah Complex as well. It does. And it it's has a, like a it's bunch tied of... into a lot. So, yeah, well, I'd be interested in reading this because I do want to get to these events that I've never read before. Well, I mean, I don't, like this book just like ran for so long. Like it started in 2005 and it looks like the last issue came out in 2013. Like there's just not a lot of books that run for eight years. Like as as sad as that sounds, this was 112 issues, which like I'm struggling to remember the last time a modern Marvel book got above issue 50. Not because of poor sales yeah. or anything, right? Like it's that's not why books are renumbered. It's renumbered because like, oh, a new creative team came on. Let's give them like a fresh volume of Captain Marvel or whatever, right? And so it's yeah. it's just them trying to do like marketing synergy, which like I completely understand, but honestly, it makes collecting such a fucking pain in the ass. Um, but this book just ran f- forever. Like it, it even got like the uh like the 2013, like the restructuring of the the trade dress where like the red bar at the bottom for like um, oh yeah you know like all like mighty thor and like all this shit like so like this book lasted through like jason aaron on thor which like i don't think jason aaron had written a book for marvel when this first issue would come out he might have done no he didn't even do his wolverine story i think he did like his contest that he won from wizard was all he had done. So the fact that like it lasted that long and like through Matt Fraction yeah, on Fantastic Four and all that shit, like this book was just around forever. 
Yeah, no, that's that is pretty crazy. I don't know. I don't know why. I think I skipped a lot of comics between these years. I did read like Civil War, and that was like one of the only events I think I. And I also read through um, X Men versus uh, Avengers. Mm-hmm. Read through some of that, but other than that, I hadn't read too much of the modern X Men shit, more modern shit, because I'd always always read with like the eighties kind of 90s comics of x-men at most that was like Mm -hmm. the furthest i ever got into them so this is fun because it's different and just because i don't know who multiple man is doesn't mean i have to hate him not yet you don't know if he's cyclops or bobby yet so you don't hate him yet correct (laughs) wait is that a possibility no (laughs) okay you never know (laughs) no but i i think some major oxes some are like some duplicates you're gonna be like, "Wow, fuck that guy into the sun," and other ones you're gonna be like, "Oh, that poor bastard." <laughs> if I if I remember the story correctly, how it goes, um, it's really cool, and honestly, it's nice to just like get like a little taste of you know mutantdom from Marvel with like no baggage. Like I still barely know who these characters are all these years right, later, yeah. you know. And so, like, I don't have to sit there and be like, oh, fuck, oh, Jean Grey is back again from the dead, I guess, this time. Like, I know nothing about these characters. And so it is just kind of refreshing. And it does kind of feel like you're starting on the 10th date, right? Where, like, they yeah. already they already know each other super well. So I feel like right. they just have a good rapport that doesn't... I thought I was missing something. That doesn't weigh me down. Well, like, they had a book for several dozen issues together. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah, they became like the leading characters of like the 90s X-Factor book. And so they they have a history, but like even still, like I'm not like I've never gone back and read that book. I don't give a shit about the original X-Factor book. Yeah, they're not all great. No, I I like like (laughs) I said, 90s comics like, yeah, I'll, I'll read the Wade Flash stuff. I'll read the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern stuff. But after that, man. A lot of misses in the 90s. What can you do about that? It looked cool as shit. Oh, it was fucking awesome, man. The art the, direction was... The cool. lighting on everything, the 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 shading on everything was just incredible. Yeah. But goddamn, did those words make me want to vomit sometimes. <laughs> Some real bad words in the 90s. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm excited. What's next? What's I next? We next, something else. next, we're going to read Son, Son of Them. Okay. We're going to pick up with Pietro, see what he's up to post-House of M. Sweet. Yeah, I'm excited. You excited? Yeah. yeah Sweet. I'm let's, excited. Get ex- let's get excited. I don't know how I feel about Pietro, so this will be, be an exercise. Um, I'm very interested to talk about this book with you, then. <laughs> I can't, can't wait to yeah, see where that goes. I'm always a little conflicted. I'm not never really sure how I feel about him. I haven't read too much of him. Obviously, he was like a big part of House of M and stuff, but like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't remember if I uh, how I feel about him. Uh, you're in the same position as 15 year old George, like this House of M book, the the Son of M. Uh, that was my first real introduction to him outside of like a couple panels from various random Avengers comics. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm really excited Hell to yeah, brother. visit that. Yeah. <sighs> Fabio, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. As always, um, thank you so much for listening. I, I appreciate that too. You guys are so sweet. Please hit us up on Twitter at Shortbox Summary. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and we'll see what we can do about what you don't like and turn it into something that you might like. Fabio, any closing words? We'll force it into you. We'll force it into you. <laughs>
Any uh, any closing thoughts, Fabio? Um, X Men are cool. Read X Men. Yeah, but fuck Cyclops. Fuck even Bobby. When, even when they suck, it's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Fabio. And uh, we'll we be back. X Men video game. If I if if. That's that's all I want. I've been thinking about it a lot. There haven't been any good X Men video games in a very long time. Well, I sent you a video game. I was hoping we could talk about it on the podcast. I was hoping we could talk about X Men Legends. But yeah, it feels different to be like, hey, can you read this hundred forty pages of a comic book? Then like, hey, can you play this twenty hour RPG so we could talk about it on the podcast? It just it's a different time investment, you know. Starfield's over. You got time? All right, we'll we'll talk X Men Legends sooner rather than later. Then <laughs> sounds good. Thank you, Fabio. Uh, I will talk to you again next week, and we'll be back in your ears holes next week. Thank you so much for listening, and talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.